Good morning. This is Claudia Shamba, and I'm your host welcoming you to the January 1220 edition of Ask a Leader. Sandra Singlow, it's my pleasure to have her on, writer, performer. She'll have a lot to say about her current production here, the world premiere of The Mad Woman in the Volvo, now playing at the Julianne Ardress stage at the South Coast Repertory in Costa Mesa. She'll also be tar- participating in a multidisciplinary forum happening on the UCI and USC campuses, what cannot be said, running from January 22nd to the 24th. During the second half of the show today, Jane Chai is the public projects manager at the Orange County Healthcare Agency, posting the latest on Orange County's Healthier Together, a more comprehensive approach to health improvement is on its way. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My first guest, and it's such a distinct pleasure to have her on, is Sandra Tsing Lo, author, performer, playwright, radio commentator, and presently an adjunct professor at UC Irvine in drama and science communication. Her books include Mother on Fire, A Year in Van Nuys, Aliens in America, Depth Takes a Holiday, and a novel, If You Lived Here, You'd Be Home By Now. And her plays, Aliens in America, and Bad Sex with Bud Kemp, Sugar Plum Fairy, and I Worry. As the literary maven of the open book, Ms. Lowe uses the platforms of public radio, the Atlantic Monthly, where she's been an editor, and her books and her plays to deliver pithy validation on all rites of passages she's processed and has endured. Many of you know her weekly contributions on the low life or the lowdown on science on Southern California Public Radio. She earned her Bachelor's of Science at Caltech, where she also maintains the distinction of being the first alumna to deliver a commencement address. If you know Sandra Singh Lowe's delivery, you can take that now famous speech or any of her work and know exactly how she would phrase and intone the piece. She's completed her Master of Professional Writing program at USC. Today, she joins us to talk about her multi-character play based on her book, The Mad Woman in the Volvo, now having its world premiere at South Coast Repertory Theater's Julianne Argyros stage from now until January 24th. She comes to us today from Pasadena, presumably well hydrated. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Sandra Tsinglo. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, congratulations on launching this new work, Sandra. Thank you so much. It's been quite a quite an experience. I'm hearing a little a little a cold in tone there. Is that that's probably the the rigors of, of launching this whole new play? I hope, I hope you're well this morning. Oh, I, I did get laryngitis during the load-in, so I do have to be careful oh. and have, like, voice rest. But sometimes just the first thing in the morning, this is kind of what it sounds like. Okay, okay. Well, it's a, a, a new uh, or a, an early you. Well, I just want to first give kudos to the South Coast rep folks. The autobiographies reign as a theme this season there at the Julian Ardress stage. Kudos to them for arranging the season of creative, fresh, provocative memoir pieces, Viet Gone by 
Keen Nguyen captured his family's story after the fall of Saigon. Now we have Sandra Tsing Lo. You're putting up the themes that I've relished over the years, I have to say, in my uh, ever so earnest way. You managed to carry us, drag us through so many relatable emotions. But in order to get us there, you went through oh so much more. Let's have you talk about the transformation of your book by the same title into this current play, how Lisa Peterson and you approached the Sundance Institute with your several ideas and how the play came to be what it is today. Yeah, I mean, I think when I went to Sundance, I hadn't done a play for, I would say, seven seven or eight years. I'd taken a bit of a break from doing solo shows. And we thought that it could be a solo show, but that maybe it would be interesting to have these other two voices in there, two actresses, and I loved that idea. And at the Sundance um, Theater Lab at that particular time, there were a lot of other plays rehearsing, so there are other really wonderful actresses around to try things with. So Lisi initially said, why don't we, yeah, two women, one, one will play your mother, one will play your sister, and because there's some scenes that turn on incidents that involve, like, my mother particularly, and with my yes. sister in them. So we just started building it from there. And, you know, and then Lisa introduced this interesting vocal technique. It's kind of like reminiscent of the Wooster group, where yeah. sometimes you're speaking on mic, and that represents what you're thinking internally, as opposed to, so you're actually in the middle of a scene in the conversation, and you speak to someone, and then you also speak on mic, which is your interior thoughts while you're having a conversation with someone else. So there are many layers of consciousness, which I thought was a really interesting way to weave these stories together. And then some of it was storytelling of where they just wanted to know, because I had this big midlife breakup and the midlife affair, and my, my, my marriage broke up over it. So it was a big journey to go through. And they just quizzed me on actually some of the you know, painful parts of when you see when you're a divorced parent and you see your, your your children for just you know a short bit of time, a 4:30 dinner at the hometown buffet, and what that is like. And so they kind of draw these little stories out to make it a pretty full picture of you know somebody's midlife breakup. But I have heard from audience members, you know, that they they feel that they've had a satisfying experience because they really got a full story. And there's lots of stuff that happens to people in midlife that is these sad, small, personal moments. There's also really funny moments, too, but that, I think, makes memoirs rich. I mean, we also are living in a memoir era where, like, Cheryl Strait's Wild, you know, was, has been such a big book and such a big, inspiring book that they could, can really tell these tales where, you know, they don't come off perfectly and they, they make some mistakes along the way and they, you know, they don't preserve their marriage in, in the way that we like to think we should, but it's part of life. And, and so that's been this interesting journey of, of making this piece that's kind of light, dark, light, dark boots, which is, you know, pretty constantly in, in a flash, which is why, you know, they say, you know, buckle your seatbelts because it, is, it, it ends up being quite a ride. Right. And, and pivoting is sort of the, the go kind of mechanism there. there. You're pivoting from the stand-up. And I and the stand-up part, it's kind of like a Greek chorus to me when I was watching the play. Mm -hmm. And so uh, mm -hmm. there's that pivot and your very versatile cast, uh, Ms. Aaron and Miss... Uh, yeah, Caroline Aaron and Shannon Holt. And, and they Shan contribute such a huge part of the DNA of the piece. 
and that they pivot so well they they must each of them have at least about four or five different characters that they assume so that's the pivoting too going on and we as an audience we pivot between what's not quite a burlesque kind of delivery into a uh, and I said it, dragging us through different relatable emotions. We're, we're, that you're having us work right along after you did a whole lot more work to put yourself all the way out there. So the, the pivoting was a, a theme, I thought, a device that I thought was really a, an essential piece of that. So was Burning Man, both literally and figuratively, a perfect storm, Sandra? Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, the story that I tell of Burning Man and and kind of is is probably the most, almost one of the most mimetic parts of the, the true story, because not, you know, it, it's mostly based on things that happened, but sometimes when you do a show like this, there's little bits that you have to put in, you know, that are connective tissue that didn't happen exactly the way you did. But the Burning Man story did, and it was, again, a bunch of us women, moms, married moms, going to Burning Man in their, our 40s, because we wanted to see the art. That was our, our idea. But there's a, a place called the Playa, which is the open circle of sand, and in the <laughs> middle of it, there's the Burning Man. And people talk about once they start set out across the Playa, either walking with their friends or talking, it's like a truth serum that mm-hmm. suddenly people start relaying things that they would never in ordinary conversation. And I think between married 40-something people that were all parents and our children go to the same schools, this story that came out of a friend of mine was that she was having an affair. And it was such a mind-blower because theirs was the perfect family called the Los Angeles Alterna family and at the maggot schools and charter schools and the gifted children and beautiful Sunday brunches. And it just was so inconceivable to me that, you know, she, she would want to do this. But then the idea occurred to me as well with my friend that had been along for 10 years. So, and, and and then you know when I said uh, I said to him you know oh I, I you know I, I guess I it's you know, related in the piece in a different way but I go oh I guess you know the reason we've been best friends for ten years and hang out together is because I I guess I love you but you know nothing's going to happen because we're married et cetera et cetera and then this incredible freak sandstorm comes down for five to seven hours. It made the front page of the New York Times. Yes. I had to, you know, because uh, I'm sorry, I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of it, and I couldn't in this coffee tent. So we had this idea that I'd go out into the sandstorm, and, pee, and I, I sort of got lost. <laughs> so, right. you know, it sort of intensified all of our emotions. So it is something that really, I, I, I do not think that if I had not gone to Burning Man, this, this would have happened. There's no way. There's no way. So it, it was... Kind of, it, it does transform people's lives in a way that they don't expect. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. You don't know, but but, but obviously, Lisa thought it would be very theatrical. Well, it, and, yeah, um, it worked. It, it worked. Well, Sandra, what motivates you to share with so copious detail? Is it more? Uh, is it about validating women's experience, sort of giving us, a, or is it lightening the load per se concerning yourself, whether you? Um, would be liked as you present not your not so perfect side, or is it is it just giving you a more a, a bigger zone for, to be creative? Well, you know, I think I think there's a PR answer, and then there's a real this real is, answer. This is community and radio. I think the, the, the PR answer would definitely be, and maybe there is some truth to it. In, in fact, I think, I mean, when I look at art that I really 
really gets me. Let's say, like, going back to Cheryl Strayed's Wild. Right. I really appreciate art that we're, the artist presents, you know, warts and all, huge range of experience, and then one feels more normal, more stable, more sane, because I think we have many thoughts that we go through in a day. A friend of mine that says, you know, about the lies that we tell ourselves and, you know, how we struggle so hard to keep certain images of ourselves. So I appreciate I myself appreciate art that does that because I feel yeah I feel more more stable and more normal and more settled and less alone. I have found though that doing a piece like this is is quite challenging. Yes, and I've been pushed by my dramaturgs, you know, the yes. various theater labs, Sundance and Ojai, to be more and more honest and open. And some days you go, what am I? What am I doing? <laughs> and, you know, coming up at the end of rehearsal going, man, it, those are like the five most painful moments of my life that I'm just saying every day on stage. So so I got to say, from my point of view as the generator of this, like, material, it's it's incredibly naked and vulnerable to get out there and, and say stuff. And there are moments in the play where the audience is not supposed to like me, where I, I have to break it in order to get to the next moment of, you know, because I'm breaking down, so I'm not always going to be the, the stand-up comedian or the host that you, you know, that, that is so entertaining. So, so it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I would say, so for me, it doesn't validate the experience for me. I mean, I've already done my kind of work, you know, psychic work to try and deal with, you know, the situation, get through it as I did, but, but I know it does make better art. I, I mean, I know that thematically, so maybe that's not the PR answer. But but I have to say, you know, if I could have written just like a nice menopause, the musical, and had it run, yeah. you know, in 10 theaters in Florida for 10 years and just collected royalty checks at home, I might certainly have picked that instead. <laughs> As opposed to going out there every night and doing it. Yeah, I mean, it is satisfying, you know, when, when the audience responds, but it's it's, it's hard work. Amen. For those of you who've just joined us, we have the pleasure of, and treasure here of having Sandra Tsinglo, writer and performer, presenting her world premiere play, The Mad Woman, the Volvo, at the Julianne Ardros stage in Costa Mesa, running until January 24th. And we're, we're talking about her really bearing all. And I, um, I guess, though, about the part about not liking you, I think that you brought you bring us through so many relatable situations. I mean, really deeply relatable situations. I I think we're more with you, and you know, I don't know if there's an antipathy about when you want to be indulged when you're having your your therapy sessions with Charlie. I don't think that we're uh, we're necessarily going to uh, part company with uh, going along with you. We're, so I, you've got us following right along. So I, I just wanted to mention that. So I just also, who in your family's not yet seen this play? Oh, 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 only mm, Charlie and my daughters are the only people that have. They're okay. Yes, and, and, and it was, I, you know, and they, the, my girls came to opening, and ah. I think they were in the end okay with it, but they go, man, I was pretty intense, and, you know, they'll be on, ther- in, on the therapist couch for a few years as they joke and whatever, but they know, but they were around when they're, and especially my older daughter was aware of things that were happening at that time, so, and then my sister will come in and see it uh, this week, so then most of them haven't, I would say. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I, that came up in a review in the L.A. Times, and I thought, wow, let's let's see the tally is at this point. So I thought it was a kind of a nice little treat there. Who gets credit for the performance art posted in the lobby outside of the stage? I'm not going to disclose this unless I get permission, but it is going on in the lobby. Do you know um, who gets credit for that? Little post. Oh, South Coast Rep does. That's definitely their idea. Wow, Tanya and Thompson. I've seen, I haven't had an opportunity to really study it, but please do. It's, well, it's people's ages, right, and stuff they're going through. Well, it's every single decade that one could live. I mean, a decade of a person's age, zero to nineteen, then twenties, thirties, forties. All those are posted around on the, the outside of the, the wall of the lobby, and we are invited yeah. to pick up e- what, either two colors, just sort of contrast, <laughs> post-it notes, and we can write, when did we have that life-changing moment? And I will say, mine was right stuck on there verbatim. I didn't need to add mine, but uh, I, I hope that you'll get to take a look at that, and I want to invite... What was yours? Uh, what was yours? Um, I left my family of origin... And moved on. Uh, oh, that's a big one. So uh, I didn't know that it was going to. It was not going to be about anything of me. But that's why I sent you a little note so you could see what how closely I was tracking you about five to eight years earlier than some of the things that you're talking about in the play. Lots of the things, in fact. So if the folks are listening to this show live, there is a free post-show discussion. They're scheduled tonight and tomorrow. Sandra, will you be taking what remains of you after your invigorated performance and your laryngitis to either of these post-show discussions? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a treat. I'll be there. That's folks tonight and tomorrow night at the Julian Arger stage. And also, folks, members of the South Coast Reps literary staff, they'll be leaving leading sessions on January 2016th, and you can get those tickets at the door. So where are you, Sandra Tsinglo, taking your play next after it's done in this Costa Mesa run at the end of January? Well, we're thinking of taking it to Washington, D.C. We're still under negotiations for that, but the Woolly Mammoth Theater is a great theater there, and they're interested, so we'll see when exactly that happens, but that would be next. Would, would it be during the whole electoral campaign or after that? <laughs> well, that, who, who knows? Who I mean, knows? it's definitely, yeah, probably so. Wow. Probably so. So for, for good or ill. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yes. So then, we, I mean, this interview just doesn't quit. On January 22nd, 24, in a multidisciplinary forum presented at USC, and UCI is the freedom of expression in a changing world. What cannot be said? This forum is coinciding with the anniversary of the Charlie Hebdo attacks in Paris. And from law school dean, UCI law school dean Dean Chemerinsky, and the go-to guy for Chinese analysis Jeffrey Wasserstrom, Barry Glasner, Lalo Alcaraz with the La Cucaracha comic strip, Krista Tippett on being on uh, public radio, and Eddie Snowden. And ta-da, Sandra Tsinglo, you're along with Azar Usman, will be performing stand-up with Q&A after your performances about the extent of comedians' freedom expression on the 24th. I believe it's at 9 to 10 on that Saturday. What, Sandra, were you hoping to contribute and take away from the forum yourself? Well, that will be a surprise. Um, I'm still actually figuring out from a bunch of a couple things what I'm going to be doing on that day. I mean, I I think it's um, 
it, it's great that UCI is doing it and is at, is at the forefront of this freedom of expression. I think they're particularly interested in freedom of expression on college campuses. I mean, I think one of the the, the touchstones has been that, you know, even sometimes on college campuses, you know, people are not allowed to say certain things due to political correctness. I think that that's one of the themes they're thinking about. So I'm, you know, in the middle of this, I'm all, I, I'm, I'm, I have a couple of different ways I can go in terms of what I'm thinking of doing, and um, I, w- I will figure it out then. Well, two quick questions, Andrew. Yes. Uh, yeah. Whether do you are you familiar with him, Jazar? Usman, have you been acquainted? Um, I'm not. I've seen a little bit of this stuff. I think he's great. He's very innovative. I think that's going to be really fun. And I think the other point I was going to just mention is for you being so open book, this freedom of expression and what, how to rein in or not rein in, how to decide, that's going to, that's going to put a big onus on you or it's going to give you an opportunity to um, do this straight on. It, you're an authority on the open book, so it, it, it's a great form for you. I, I'm already promoting this. But the link is getting out there. It's uh, Not enough people know about it yet, so I, I think it's going to be a, a real treat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I have this one I can't resist, this optional question here that I wanted to put out there. Is when I, myself, when I've gone through a stretch of where I just wanted to put my all into political activism and I just would fantasize out, well, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt never was beat up about her lifetime of non-maternal choices in her life portfolio. I don't know if you ever, do you ever go back or think about what she was able to pull off without any kind of berating? Boy, well, I, I think that there, you know, her and then others who have, women who have come before us, I mean, they, they really have pulled off some great stuff. I mean, there Gail Collins in the New York Times did a piece yes. um, several weeks ago about women at a certain age in midlife and beyond. Um, I don't know if Eleanor Roosevelt was one of the people that she was talking about, but she was certainly talking about even now, not like Gloria Steinemann is her 80s, but, but women in middle age and beyond that they became sort of more radicalized as they got older and really accomplished a lot. And, and she was saying that kind of in light of, you know, the political, the presidential election now that, you know, oh, if Hillary Clinton was elected, you know, by the time of her second term, she would be one of the oldest presidents off in office. And then we have Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, who are of the fresh new generation. But sometimes, you know, women, you know, it, it's a value as women get older, they actually bring more to the table and are able to pull off more things. So I see, you know, an Eleanor Roosevelt or that kind of story of like, really of women who are not necessarily 20 or 25, but in middle age and beyond just being their own person and, and really becoming leaders in interesting ways. And that's yes. sort of how I see that. I don't know how you see it. How do you see it? Well, just that I thought that she really put her all in the causes, initiatives in her day. And there were so right. many going on with the, with economic deprivation and and early civil rights issues that she was backing. And so, I, I mean, it's sort of like, so do do you have to be a mother because you're a mother, or can you can you say, well, I'll I'll be able to have more of an impact if I take up these causes and sort of, and and it's it's a very um it's a it's a dicey choice, and we we make them all the time, and you know and yours your play is all about the choices and pivoting and that kind of a thing. So I thank you 
thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Sandra, and putting yourself out there. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on it. I appreciate it. And uh, for giving up the what's left of your voice. So that was Sandra Singlow, writer and performer, with her world premiere, the play The Mad Woman in the Bobo. We'll be right back. My guest will be Jane Chai. She's Public Health Project's manager with expansive approaches toward improving health. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. That's Sue George doing Ziggy Sardust for you-know-what reasons, folks. Welcome back to the show. My next guest is Jane Chai, and she is the Public Health Projects Manager at the Orange County Health Care Agency to bring us an important initiative, Orange County's Healthier Together, a new resource with new resources for public health and information that allows anyone to find data information about health and wellness in Orange County. Jane completed her bachelor's degree from UC Berkeley in social welfare and political science and her master's in public health from UCLA School of Public Health. She's worked in the field of public health for almost 20 years, 11 years in community health planning, eight years of which dealt with HIV AIDS. Prior to her work with the healthcare agency, Jane had worked with various community-based organizations in Southern California, focusing on reproductive health and Asian American community health. In her current position, Jane coordinates the public health science division's efforts around community health planning, strategic planning, quality improvement, and workforce development. Fresh from a presentation that she gave yesterday at CalIT Auditorium here on the campus of UCI, we welcome her uh, coming in to us uh, from uh, Santa Ana. Welcome to the show, Jane Chai. Thank you so much for having me. This is good to have you. Orange County's Healthier Together is a as, as I'm quoting the, uh, the charge there uh, on your website, it's a community-wide initiative bringing together public and private resources within the public health system to prove health for all communities in Orange County. Jane, tell us exactly what you are and what you are not. Well, the partnership actually started in 2012 when Orange County Healthcare Agency brought together 21 partner organizations to do an assessment of health in Orange County, which is something we had never done before, and come up with a health improvement plan, so identifying areas for improvement in health in Orange County. So what we've become is a partnership working to improve community health and the public health system for Orange County by aligning processes and resources um, that are already happening to maximize their impact on health in the community. And uh, what we're not is trying to create new work. So um, though this is a new initiative, what we're really trying to do is look at the organizations, collaboratives, and work that's already happening in the community and making sure that they're lined up um, to make sure we have the best impact on the community. And you you have particular values whose time in Composite has come. Would you enumerate each one of these, starting with the health equity? Yes, I think, um, you know, equity and disparities 
is kind of go hand in hand and um, was really one of our core values when we started the work on this. Um, our, like I mentioned, we have a lot of partners out there and um, from the healthcare agency to our universities, hospitals, um, community-based organizations like Latino Health Access and Orange County Asian Pacific Islander Community Alliance. Um, and when we started on this journey, um, one of the things that we all discussed was really um, the concern about disparities in health in Orange County. And Orange County's story is really about disparities. Oftentimes, when we look at Orange County as a whole, we do fairly well. We have something on our OCHealthierTogether.org website called the OC Health Dashboard, um, which shows over 200 indicators related to health. And on the dashboard, you'll see how Orange County does um, between red, yellow, and green, green meaning we're doing better than 50% of counties, California or U.S. counties. And in general, Orange County shows up as green. And folks generally write us off as being doing really well. We're that county in Southern California that has everything. But when you look at sub-county um, level information by race or ethnicity or um, geography, you'll find some spots that actually show up as red, meaning they would be in the bottom 25 percentile compared to California or U.S. counties. Um, so, you know, when we started on this journey, as I mentioned, health equity was something that was really a core value, and that means attainment of highest level of health for all people, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, religion, social condition, or neighborhood in Orange County. That's a huge, valuable tool, uh, that community dashboard there on the website, folks. It's it's very, very helpful. And that the, the fact that you're trying to be this, working toward this comprehensiveness, tell us about all the domains that you're trying to pick up with this comprehensive care. Absolutely. That, that was another core value. You know, when we started this work, we discussed that we didn't want to think about health as strictly physical health. Um, we wanted to look at all components that um, relate to health, including mental health, spiritual health, um, economic and environmental drivers, and educational factors, because we understand that all those things are really contributors of health. And again, when you look at that dashboard, you'll see a lot of health indicators related to, um, you know, the traditional markers of health. Um, hospitalizations, prevalence of various diseases or death rates, but you also see quite a few indicators on um, the economy. So what percent of our population lives below the poverty level? Um, what percent has a bachelor's degree or um, what our high school dropout rates are, as well as um, you know, our voter turnout and commute times and um, all of those other things that we know absolutely impact health in our community. So for those of you who've just joined us, this guest is Jane Chai. She's the project manager of Orange County's Healthier Together, the public organization with an expansive charge of what comprehensive health care looks like here on Ask a Leader, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and streaming on the web on KUCI.org. As you tell us about how you're making and going to make this public-private partnership work, it would be very interesting to hear from you about how the model around which Healthier Together is organizing. It's the model put together that tackled uh, HIV AIDS. Is that, and is that an, a known organizational fact? Well, I think um, 
HIV is kind of a model in it in and of itself for for public health in a lot of ways. Um, the advocacy efforts that happened around HIV um, in the earlier days in the 80s and late 80s and early 90s in the epidemic really formed um, some of the things that we look at today. For instance, HIV is very well funded, um, um, perhaps not as well as it needs to be, but um, they have an HIV planning council, for instance, um, that most major metropolitan areas have um, that's composed of, um, I think, mandated has to have 30% people living with HIV, um, as well as mandated seats with um, community providers on it. And that helps to inform, um, does a good job of informing from the outside in and the inside out what care should look like for Orange County. So when we look at these models of um, community partnerships and collaborative planning, I certainly think HIV has, has a good impact on that. And I spent many years working in HIV um, that was actually my first position at the council or at the county. And I'll be honest, when I started working uh -huh. at the county of Orange, um, you know, I was really concerned because I was very um, interested in community health and thought I wanted to work in community-based organizations because I thought the county had nothing to offer me in that regard. But I took the position anyway and thought I'd leave in a couple of years and go back to the community. Well, 12 years later, I'm here because I recognized and realized pretty soon after I started working there that, you know, the, the work that the government does just doesn't work without partnerships with the community. So we were working very closely with community-based organizations and clients to make sure that the planning of services was on point and the delivery and, you know, they included throughout that feedback. And we certainly hope and feel that the Orange County's Healthier Initiative is, is doing similar work. Well, it sounds like you might be the mover and the shaker to get open up the connection, deepen the comprehensiveness of the what the county is offering its constituents. Way to bravo, bravo, Jane. So thank you. So I, we've already talked a little bit about some of these uh, partnerships. More than rounding up the usual suspect, you're figuring out how to reach into well formed institutions to expand and deepen their reach. For instance, you're talking about the American Diabetes Association and all the others. Why don't you give us some of your, so far, your your proudest collaborations that we can all say, oh, yeah, I can see where that's going and I can see where I would let fit in or any of those kind of connections people want to make. Absolutely. I think, you know, this thing has continued to grow and grow as we started it. Like I mentioned, we started this in 2012, and maybe there were 30 people in the room um, at our first meeting. And now we have a list of over 100 people who are on our list just wanting to get information. Yes. And um, American Diabetes Association is one of those folks who we originally didn't have in the process, and they joined later on. And that came out of actually obesity and diabetes being identified as one of our four priority health areas, um, which, and I should mention the four priority health areas that came out of this 18-month planning process for Orange County are infant and child health, because health begins um, at pregnancy um, and with healthy birth outcomes, older adult health, um, because in less than Four years in 2020, one in five residents in Orange County will be 65 and over, which means we need to make sure that the system care is ready for them. And that they become isolated as a hazard. 
Uh, yes. So, and to make sure, yeah, exactly, that there's a whole system, um, not just of medical care, but of community that can provide for them. Obesity and diabetes, as I mentioned, and also behavioral health, which includes mental health and substance use. So, as you can see, that's really a breadth of things that we're talking about. And American Diabetes Association, um, as a result of us identifying diabetes as one of the areas of concern, because it has been increasing, not just nationwide, but also in Orange County, um, they um, have started a Orange County Diabetes Collaborative, which is something that never existed and um, probably something that might have happened later down the line. But once we identified that need and that, hey, we didn't really have something that brought together all of the folks who, um, you know, address diabetes in Orange County, they were able to do that and have begun, began some really good work there. Um, we were also uh, able to apply for a grant Orange County Partnerships to Improve Community Health. That came as a result of um, bringing folks together. Um, that is a CDC grant that is now in a few of our communities. I think it's Garden Grove, Anaheim, and Santa Ana, and has brought together folks like um, UCI with community-based organizations so that they can make changes in community health, um, doing things like community gardens and active transportation. So really great stuff um, and really forward-thinking stuff where we look at um, our, the whole of our community and how it impacts our health and bring together business and, you know, the sheriff's department and universities to look at innovative ways where we can really impact our community. Well, I could go in several thousand directions with this that you're talking about, that the law enforcement can help, you can help them, they can help you when you're talking about behavioral health and how the the sort of law enforcement can work with dialing down the the accelerating the conflict with the uh, the encounter with a mentally uh, disabled person uh, you know, there's that part and and in the larger sense how you're taking so many urban planning tools to put the public health program into a broader play with uh, school commutes and you can give us lots of examples like that Absolutely, yes. I, I, and I think that's all good work that is happening now and will com continue to happen. I, I will say that a lot of the work that we're looking at now is kind of building, capacity building work. So we are looking at, for instance, I talked about older adults. One of the things that's happening there is they are doing an assessment of the system for older adults in Orange County because we hadn't done that. And we actually hope to publish um, um, in concert with our website an older adult profile in the next few months, which um, has been a joint effort between Cal State Fullerton. Um, uh, they have an Orange County's Healthy Aging Initiative that one of the chairs is from Cal State Fullerton and our, our office, the deputy health officer here is the other co-chair that they've been working on to put up so that we really have an idea of what's going on in Orange County. And out of that, I think, is where the synergy happens, where people start to see themselves, um, plug themselves in as to, you know, well, I have a program that can address that need, or I can develop a program that can address that need so that we can, you know, really get an idea of what's happening in Orange County and, and how everyone can plug into that. I, I don't want to broadside you, so I'll, I'll give you another question if it doesn't come readily to mind now. But, Jane, is there any, are there a couple of programs that were a complete surprise to you that, that they existed or what their potential might be? Or shall I give you a moment to think about that, and I can ask about an, uh, some financial aspects? 
Um, yeah, let, let me think about that. Think that, about that. So yeah. I'm interested in knowing, does the Affordable Care Act give uh, any kind of incentives for what you're trying to do with uh, Orange County's Healthier Together? Um, not directly and not necessarily. You know, I think one of the very interesting things for us in this is oftentimes when we talk about what's happening out there now, we talk about money and we assume that the driver for people to do things might be financial. And when we set this thing up, uh, we had no promises. We didn't offer money for participation. We didn't um, promise any pet projects. So no one was told, um, you know, that obesity will be one of the things we work on. And no one suggested that they would only serve because X was on the table. People just came, I think, out of interest in the process and really good intent. They just wanted to make a difference and um, and so I think that might have been one of our secrets to success is that, you know, funding has not necessarily been a driver for this or an incentive. Um, as far as the Affordable Care Act goes, while it didn't offer any incentives, I think it was certainly a key part of a key concern or consideration in our planning process throughout this. Um, because of the time we were, we were planning this, it was around the time when um, I think the Supreme Court decision happened happened and implementation started happening. So we certainly we certainly thought about how that might impact access to care, which is a, a big um, factor when you think about health. Um, I think a lot is yet to be seen about how it will end up impacting health in Orange County. We are planning our next round of assessment this year, and I'm certain that uh, the impact of Affordable Care Act will be considered in this planning process as well. So I think that that was a, a, a learning situation and understanding that keeping your initiative open-ended brought, brought the best intent in the, the ever-increasing list of parties coming to you. Absolutely. Sounds like a great... So, well, the, I see that the next uh, partnership meeting, the next Health Improvement Partnership meeting, is going to be on March 10th at... Uh, it's in the afternoon, folks, if any of you can make it. it's I don't know what day of the week it is. It's from 2 to 4 at the Public Health Training Center. And I'll post the address and Jane's email address that you can make your reservation because they want to count noses and know how many chairs, how many conference tables to put together there. But, um, I, but meanwhile, uh, your eyes are on the emergent communities, which speaks to how comprehensive your charter is. Whom did you have in mind, Jane Chai? Uh, I think, you know, this goes back to the earlier conversation about health equity and our comprehensive view of health. Um, when we started this, we certainly had in mind that there are a number of emergent communities in Orange County. For Orange County, um, refugee communities, including um, folks coming over from the Middle East, um, has definitely um, impacted kind of how we do mm -hmm. business and mm -hmm. and how we're thinking about health. And in our last few meetings, I'm happy to say we have had representation from Access California Services who've come and have been, you know, really engaged in what this means for their community, and I'm certain that they'll be a part of the process going forward. Wow. California Access Services, that's their name? That's Access California, Access yes. Access California. Oh. oh, that's but that's the Affordable Care Act, isn't it, part of it? <laughs> 
Um, no, no, no. That is a community-based organization here in Orange County that Not serves here. Middle okay. Eastern um, communities. Ah, okay. well, thank you. Thank you for that ever-important edification there. Well, I know there is so much more. I want to direct people to the actual website that is the center of our attention or the, the vehicle for the, the, the programs, uh, Orange County's Healthier Together. It's www, as always, dot O-C- healthiertogether.org. And any other uh, resources you want to direct us to? You know, I think we have a sister website, and I should say it's myhealthoc.org. Okay. And that focuses really on individual health. As I mentioned, obesity and diabetes is one of our priority health areas. We recognize that ochealthiertogether.org is really about planning, and that's why there's a focus on data on this website. It's, um, you know, we believe that good planning starts with good data. So um, that was one of our goals was to make sure that we had easy to access, easy to digest um, information on the website. And so we have demographic information on here and as well as um, health indicator data on there, as well as um, a library of over 2,000 best practices to address, to address health issues in Orange County. So, and so this is, I think, generally meant for providers or planners who are looking to find data or researchers. Um, MyHealthOC.org is another resource um, that's really meant to address healthy eating, physical activity, and um, living smoke-free, um, and that's really for individuals and families. So folks who are trying to find resources specific for their families or for themselves, um, that's another great resource. Well, Jane, I thank you for what you do, doing it so capably, and for your time with us today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. My guest was Jane Chai, Public Projects Manager at Orange County Healthcare Agency, and she is taking numbers and, and giving them back to us, posting the latest on Orange County Health, Orange County's Healthier Together. I'm going to give you some announcements to close. Folks, last month, Keith Danner covered on my show, what's at stake with the challenge to public unions heard before the U.S. Supreme Court, this case yesterday, State of the Union tonight, the last that President Obama will deliver. Let's see what he does with this opportunity. Sunday, another former guest, Mitsui Yamada, along with Sharon Brooks, will talk at the St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Irvine about their internment at the Manzanar California Relocation Center. Mitsui Yamada will bring her poetry along, too. If you remember that interview, I did that about four years, five years ago. Given her work with activism, with Amnesty International, she may very well relate to the displacement that refugees are now experiencing. Next week, I'm having Benjamin Hubbard take the entire hour to talk about his collaborative effort with not that long ago deceased Stefan Bugard, whom Benjamin now survives. Their book, which was just published, is entitled A Battlefield of Values, America's Left, Right, and Endangered Center. It's a tome that may be the best fit for these times. Well, that was my wrap. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.